I've called my message Levels of Inness, and that's going to make sense because we've been talking a lot about inness, and I want us to consider the levels of inness, which will make sense in a minute. And um, the person I want to talk about, first of all, is a character called Peter in the Bible. I've put in here background to Peter, so I'll summarize it in about 10 seconds. Peter was a guy that Jesus said, Follow me, Peter. So Peter said, All right then. And then there were some things in his life that you were thinking, you'd look at his life and think, yay, go Peter, great choice. And there were other things in his life where you'd be like, no, Peter, don't do that. And he was this character that one minute you were sort of rooting for him, the next minute you were sort of thinking, oh, how, how can you have kind of just got so far off the mark with that? And I think that's a lot like us, don't you? There's moments in our life where we're just sort of on it and moments in our life where we're not. Um, but he is around after Jesus um, dies, he gets this revelation of the gift that is his through Jesus that he's been um, brought into this wonderful salvation and he is sort of commissioned to go and share this news. And one day he has a, falls into a trance, it says in Acts 10, he falls into a trance and it says this, it won't go up on the screen but it's only very short, it says Peter fell into a trance, he saw the skies open up Something that looked like a huge blanket lowered by ropes at its four corners settled on the ground. And every kind of animal and reptile and bird you could think of was on it. Then a voice came, go to it, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, oh no, Lord, I've never, tasted so, much, I've never so much as tasted food that was not kosher. The voice came a second time, if God says it's okay, it's okay. This happened three times, and then the blanket was pulled back up into the skies. So something happens that causes Peter to question what he's believed about the things that could be included in his life. Now then, just after that moment, as if by magic, um, Captain Cornelius, who is from the Italian Guard, um, he's had a vision too, that he's supposed to send for this guy called Peter. So he sends for him, tells him, come to my house, Peter sort of addresses the people and says this. He says, you know, I'm sure that this is highly irregular. Jews just don't do this. Visit and relax with people of another race. It wasn't, it wasn't the done thing. But God has just shown me that no race is better than any other. So the minute I was sent for, I came, no questions asked. So he goes to this house of this person who we would never have considered going to before because he gets a revelation that it's okay realizes when he gets there that God has spoken to this man and in his frame of reference that wouldn't have been possible before but he realizes something else is going on something new and then this is what he says this will come up on the screen Peter fairly exploded with his good news it's God's own truth nothing could be plainer God plays no favorites it makes no difference who you are or where you're from if you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. The message he sent to the children of Israel that through Jesus Christ, everything is being put together again. Well, he's doing it everywhere, among everyone. Now, that's a great message. So he gets this wonderful revelation that everybody is now included in a way that they were not before, which is exciting. There's no longer this them and us. Um, there's just a big almighty, 
us. Now, what I love about Peter in this moment is that God says to him, do you know what? You're going to have to change the way you think a little bit. He's at this point in his life when it's all exciting, it's all new, so he adjusts and he's like, yay, we're doing this. Now, another guy, cut to another guy, Paul, and Paul is a character, again, who was very devout, followed all the religious laws, and he too gets the revelation that he's empowered to go and um, speak to the Gentiles, I'll explain what that is in a minute, the Gentiles, and say, you're included too. So these people that weren't included before, that were non-Jewish, they were going to be included. So Paul gets exactly the same revelation as Peter, just at a different time. Now, we don't think today of Jews or Gentiles. Who in here is a Jew and who in here is a Gentile? It's not a question we tend to ask, is it? Um, but we ask other questions, which we'll come to in a bit. But the first definition that comes up in, in the dictionary when you look up Gentile, the first definition that you get is not a Jew. That's what it means. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Um, so if you, like me, are not a Jew, the first thing for us to register tonight is that we were included. We were actually grafted in to this message. We're part of the crowd that could have been the unclean, not included, and we got included. Now, the second definition of Gentile is very interesting because it says, it says in brackets, first of all, ecclesiastical term of or relating to a church, especially an established institution. And then it actually says Christian. So weirdly, this was fascinating, the term that was synonymous with the good news that we were included has become rebranded to mean to be the word that's used to exclude everybody else now. And I just thought, isn't that interesting? How originally it was supposed to mean... I just thought that was fascinating. Now... At some point, it says it's around 14 years after Paul gets this revelation that everybody's in and he's to go and speak to these non-Jewish people about it. Um, he and his friend go and meet the sort of apostles, including Peter. The apostles were like the head church guys in the new church, I suppose. And they get, um, Paul has to go and meet them and they're going to clarify the revelation that they've all had. So they're like, you've been doing it over here. I've been doing it over here. Let's come together now, see where we're all at. Um, now, this is what happens. Okay, so there's your background. This is Galatians 2. This is Paul talking. Later, when Peter came to Antioch, I had a face-to-face -face confrontation with him because he was clearly out of line. Oh, that was tense. See, there's always tensions in church. We're all right. Here's the situation. Earlier, before certain persons had come from James, Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews. But when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique that's been pushing the old system of circumcision, Unfortunately, the rest of the Jews in the Antioch church joined in that hypocrisy so that even Barnabas, his friend, was swept along in the charade, 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 whichever. But when I saw that they were not maintaining a steady, straight course according to the message, I spoke up to Peter in front of them all. There's a tense moment as well, isn't there? This is happening in front of everybody. If you, a Jew 
Live like a non-Jew when you're not being observed by the watchdogs from Jerusalem. What right do you have to require non-Jews to conform to Jewish customs just to make a favorable impression on your old Jerusalem cronies? Now, interesting, isn't it? So it was almost like Peter's all right with the revelation that everyone's included until it's going to put him out of favor with the people that don't think they should be included. And this, to me, was an issue of about how in were those, how in had those who were out been made? Had they been really bought in, or was there a level of their inness? So you're in, but you're not quite as in as we are. Um, you're kind of just just across the line, whereas we're well and truly camped out in the middle of this. Um, what they were saying about the people being in somehow didn't match up with how they were acting. Now, Peter saw, Peter was seen doing this by Paul, and he was called a hypocrite. And I thought, isn't it funny how, how many times are Christians called hypocrites? And it's normally, don't you think, to do with behavior. Oh, I thought you were a Christian, you're not supposed to swear. I thought, you're, you, you, you're drinking, you're not supposed to drink if you're a Christian. Oh, you're living with your boyfriend, you're not supposed to live with your boyfriend if you're a Christian. And it's become all attached to um, behaviours. And I was really thinking about it, and I think, the thing that I want others to call us hypocrites for is if we don't forgive, and we don't include, and we don't offer grace, and we don't show love, and I've written down here, if we don't go 15 extra miles for a person just on the chance that they might experience a single millisecond of the grace that we've been given, that is what we should be called a hypocrite for. If we're not including, not because of how we're behaving, but if we're not including, and our message should be so clear that you are accepted as you are, that we get criticised for that. And if we are being criticised because we are including, then we're doing all right. We're doing more than all right. We're actually doing kingdom. And I think that's great. Now, Paul goes on to comment on these things in his sort of letters to the Galatians as he's writing, referring to Jews and non-Jewish sinners. Now, I've changed the wording a little bit, so forgive me, but it's going to have a bit, bit bigger impact if I do it this way than if I say Jew and non-Jew. So listen to this. Those of us who have knowledge of church and its regulations and who call ourselves Christians have no advantage of position over those who haven't and who call themselves non-Christians. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We tried it and we had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. <laughs> Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we believed in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not by trying to be good. So somehow or other, Peter forgot momentarily, as we do, that actually righteousness is a gift and it remains a gift. And some of us have tried for years and years and years to get this thing down perfectly. And I don't know about you, how are you doing with that? Because I'm not there yet. <laughs> I've been trying a really long time. And I remember those words of Robbie Williams. They should be in the Bible, shouldn't they? Never forget where you've come here from. And 
We forget that we were included. We forget that we were bought in and we were included. Now, I am very, very, very grateful to have been around church and the message of God and his love um, my whole life. But that isn't why he is my father and friend and buddy and counsellor and power and all those things. And that's not why he remains that. He is those things because it was given to me as a gift. And it is still a gift. But after many, many years of having it and never knowing without it, I forget that it was a gift. And somehow think I've done that. I haven't done that. I've just been fortunate enough to be in a position where someone told me that that is what I had been given. The gift was revealed to me. Now, the image I kept thinking over and over again is um, of a theme park. And they, they had a reward day at my school yesterday, and 400 um, teenagers went to Flamingoland. I bet you're glad you weren't there. <laughs> um, and I kept thinking about them in this theme park. And I thought, 400 pe people, plus probably about 50 staff, were in the theme park, and all of them were in the theme park. Now, some of them might have been sitting in the entranceway having a cup of tea. Some of them might have been on the scariest roller coaster in the whole entire place. But they were all in the theme park. They were just experiencing different things. But they were all in the theme park. You couldn't have said, well, he's more in than she is, because they were all in. Does that make sense? Whereabouts they were in doesn't undo the fact that they were in. So you can't say, well, you're more in than you are. No, you could say their experience was different. Somebody who's enjoying every ride and going for it and has a great day and they're laughing and smiling and saying, come on, it's brilliant. It's probably having somewhat more, a lot more fun than the person sitting miserable in the corner and wishing that they could be somewhere else. But they are nevertheless still in. Um, now, God is not upset I'm going to read this slowly because I want you to hear this. God is not upset with people in the world until we, the church, get them in the building and straighten them out. He's not looking, thinking, well, you're all right, but they're, they're not, so you have to go out and get them in and make sure they're all somewhere out. Otherwise, he's not sort of, because if we're not careful, this is what we believe and this is what we communicate. So we make friends with people with an agenda. I need to change you and I need to straighten you out and then you'll be okay and then God can love you and then you can somehow have grace on your life. But until then, you're somehow out because God so loved, what have we been hearing for weeks? God so loved the world. Are they in the world? Yes. So have they... Whatever they're experiencing, are they still in the love and grace of God? Yes. Now, they might not be experiencing it, but they are in it. Now, I don't know where I've got to. I told you, I'm only echoing it back. This should all sound very familiar. Now, we surely, we surely need to befriend people. Don't we need to make friends with people to be their friend? to actually genuinely love them and connect to them and be there for them and not with our agenda of, our, right, I'm going to make friends with you and then I'm going to tell you this, this, this and this and I can see from your life that you need to change that, that, that and that. So I'm going to preach that at you until we've all sorted that out. Wouldn't it be better to just actually make friends with people because you want to be their friend and love them and communicate to them where they are at? And within that friendship, 
If there's then a massive great roller coaster that you know they'll really love, but they're a bit frightened to go on it, once you've made friends with him and sat with him at the entrance to that theme park, he said, you know what, come and try that ride. It's absolutely fantastic. And aren't they more likely to go and experience what you've experienced if they actually realise that you accept them as they are? Did you? <laughs> Zookeeper. I love it. <laughs> That's wonderful. You could have fed some of the annoying pupils to the lions. Um, not that any of them are annoying. Um, now, I don't know where I've got to. There was a remote... Um, I saw, read in the news this week about this remote tribe in the rainforest who uh, hadn't had contact with any human beings ever. And they've suddenly sort of come out of the rainforest into the open and they were seen by helicopters and they never sort of mixed with anybody else. And they didn't know whether they were coming out. They didn't know whether they were coming out because they were in danger, perhaps they were needing help or some kind of assistance. But what it was saying in this newspaper article is that they're actually quite vulnerable because if they start to mix with people who they haven't mixed with before, they're very susceptible to their diseases and to things like, like that. And, and I just thought, imagine what would have happened and was, ha- and was happening to the weak and the poor and infirm and the vulnerable within the times of Jesus. And had he not been there writing the Bible, as he heard last week, these people were in hiding because actually they were told somehow or other that they couldn't mix, that they were separate from. They were sort of almost afraid to be seen by that religious crowd because if they were to come out, they would somehow or other be at risk of, of, of more than if they were to stay hidden. And then Jesus comes onto the scene and he basically brings these people out of hiding and says, it's not just that you get to come out. I want to come and be with you. You're the people I want to be with. And, to, and I think that surely should be the heart of the, the church. Not that we want to keep people who might be considered weak or vulnerable or different or somehow going through stuff. Not that we want to hide those things away within our meetings so everything that's is neat and tidy and looks all right, but that they're the very people that can come and have centre stage and be the most welcome. Isn't that what we're supposed to be? Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Now, I am not more in with God than someone who is living in a remote tribe who has never heard of him. And I can sometimes find it quite hard, and you will too if you admit it, because we do like exclusivity in our relationships. We do. And my husband's of 14 years. I've been with him 16. That's a long time, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's mostly good. Um, he loves me and my son more than he loves other people. He loves me and him more than he loves the rest of you. It's true. Um, and I like that he loves me more. I like that I love them more. I like that we have our exclusive little family and that it's mine and ours. And I wouldn't want him to love you lot as much as he loves me. I want to be first and I want to be favourite. And if you think about it, so do you. You want the people in your life to... You want to be first and you want to be favourite. And so we can really struggle when people are included that we think, I don't want you at this party. We like our little party, we like our little group, it suits us, we all agree, we all know where we stand, we don't want you coming in as well. We do, admit it, we find that quite hard sometimes. And I was thinking about this and I was thinking, 
you know, I propose that the reason why we seek this exclusivity experience is we actually haven't fully experienced um, the wonder of what it actually means to have connectedness with each other and with God to the degree that I think we were ever supposed to. I think that's something that we lost along the way and got lost along the way. And I believe that could be restored and that that's a part of a revelation that we all need to have because to us, often, others are a bit of a threat, aren't they? Somehow or other, if you're allowed into whatever this is, um, you're going to threaten the place I have, what I value, what I believe, how this works, how our groups work. You're going to bring in attitudes and behaviours that just don't make me feel very comfortable. Um, And it's because really, we're still not fully, um, I almost want to say, we're not fully enjoying the party that is our own life we're actually often not happy. We're actually still trying to get whole and we're still working so hard for something that we've actually already got. We've already got this incredible worth and acceptance. We've already got the whole entire world and yet we're still working so hard to be whole, to be okay, to feel accepted, to feel loved, to feel secure. And we've already got those things, but the problem is the revelation of that gift that we've been given hasn't yet fully been revealed. So we just work harder at it, pursue it in all sorts of ways, and then that's what... in causes us to be exclusive because while we're grabbing for all that experience, I mean we heard it tonight, while we're grabbing to get that drug of our choice, our new drug, you have to exclude um, others. We had this really tense staff meeting this week, it was fun actually. The head at the end asked for questions, and normally when he asks for questions, nobody asks any questions. And on this night, six people did. And there were questions that were like, oh, awkward. And what the problem was, and you'll recognize it, is that a school where I work very proudly is an inclusive school. We don't exclude pupils that would be excluded really from every other school in the area. We keep them, we try and somehow rehabilitate them. We somehow, because once you can permanently exclude a child from school, you, you really make their life very, very difficult. So we go all out to try and keep them and include. And I love that we value that. I love that's what we stand for. And it's very important. The problem is, with the new sort of government guidelines and your performance is now linked to your pay and your performance measure is linked to how much progress the pupils make in lessons. So in your class, everybody, I'm not looking at Sarah Fox because I'll see her face when I say this, (laughs) every single member of your class has to move half a level every single year. Now if they don't, you fail. So There can be all sorts of reasons why pupils don't move, as you can imagine. They might not attend school. They might... (laughs) That's one reason. They might um, misbehave when they're in school. They might have all sorts of genuinely challenging things going on outside of the classroom. But you as a teacher, you have to move them that far. You have to. You you, you have to or you fail. Um, And so what the point was coming up in this meeting was, okay, so we're going to include everybody regardless of what their issues might be, but then we have to get all these people we've included to this 
thing here. You kind of can't have both. Do you get that? You kind of can't have both. If we're going to say, well, you're included regardless of your stuff, and we're going to have to go a journey with you, and that's going to be harder, it's very difficult. And I thought, this is what the problem becomes when you've got this destinational yes. thing. If we have to get everybody to X, you can't include everybody. Because if you do, you have to do this, be in this mentality that says, well, you're going to have to catch on, or you're going to have to get out. Or you're going to have to somehow do this, or you're going to have to get out. Because otherwise, you can't get everybody to the destination. And so we've heard a lot about this, this directional versus destinational. One of the reasons for me why it cannot be everybody has to look like X, be at X, do X, is because you, you can't do that and include everybody because people aren't... They're starting from different points. There's a reason why their pace is affected. You can't neatly box it all off and say, if someone is a Christian, by year one of Christianity, they will not be swearing anymore, not be drinking anymore. They will have converted 10 other people to the Christian faith, and they will be able to pray in public. You can't, you can't do that. But you can't do it, can you? It's not possible. So it has to be, and it really occurred to me that if you are going to be inclusive, and if we are going to be inclusive, our pace is going to be affected. It is going to be affected, because what we're saying is we're going to give people room and space to get it, and sometimes we're going to have to repeat it and go over it and have another conversation with that person because it's not worked out. But that's what comes with being inclusive. Um, but what the head said on Tuesday, and I thought, this is true of us as well, what he said was, to me, being inclusive is non-negotiable. And I think we can say that's for us, can't we? Being an inclusive house has to be our non-negotiable even when it's messy church, even when it slows down the pace, even when it has to be our non-negotiable, and that means we have to let go of some of our destinations, and we have to let go of our target setting, and we have to just accept that so long as everybody's going in the same direction, we're doing all right, yeah? Now... The Gentiles being there in that situation, you thought I'd forgotten about the story, had you? I actually had. <laughs> the <gen> I had. <laughs> the Gentiles, I'm going all over. The Gentiles being in, in somehow here with the Jews were somehow a threat to their Jewish inness because their Jewish inness was something that they had achieved. They had sacrificed for, they had invested in, their identity was um, tied to, it was their legacy and their right. Um, and it was more that than it was a celebration of their inness. And when I wrote this today, I thought, actually, that has been true of me for most of my life. I have been more attached to being in because of what I was doing than celebrating the fact that I got to be in in the first place. I just missed the point. I read the caption and didn't see the didn't see the picture. So my Christianity and my relationship with God, I don't even like saying that. What does that mean? 
And what does that even mean? But that, it was more of something that I'm in. I am an achiever by nature. I thrive on achieving. That, that's what I do. And so my, even my faith life became an achievement way more than it's been a celebration. And I want it to be a celebration. I want it to be a celebration. And if I spend more, ta- if I spend more of my time thinking about how I can do Christianity, then I do being grateful that I've been included. I've missed the point. I've just utterly missed the point. And um, things evolve as well, don't they? Years and years ago, um, I remember. It was probably you that said it. You normally say most of the things I remember. Said um, that we will be most challenged in the area of our perceived expertise. When you think you're an expert on someone on something, and someone tries telling you how it works, you're like, no, 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 no. You do not know more about me than this. More about this than me. Um, and things evolve, don't they? There's a friend of mine who's been working in the IT business for years, and he, I saw him the other week, and he's leaving. And he's, the reason he was leaving, he said, oh, there's all these, I mean, he's, you know, he's in his early 40s now. And he was saying the reason he's leaving is because when he was in his early 20s, you know, it was his hobby. He was in his garage and he'd set up all his networks and it was all really exciting. And he'd spend his evenings and weekends working out how to do whatever IT people do. <laughs> um, and he said, um, now he's got a wife and kids. He doesn't want to sit every night in his garage playing. He wants to spend time with his wife and kids. And what he's had to accept is that actually these people, these young lads who were once him, who are now sitting in their garage, have become the experts. And just because you and I might have been experts in this thing 5, 10, 15 years ago, it doesn't necessarily make us an expert now. And it might be time for us to sort of think, well, the stuff I thought I knew and the stuff I had buttoned down, the stuff I know, maybe I know nothing now. Maybe... Maybe I know nothing now. Maybe I've got to learn this from scratch all over again and ditch it all and accept that there's a new network needed. Um, We've got to go against our expertise. You know that story about the width of a boat? I love that story. I thought that in some ways is a story for me about going against your expertise. And it's a story about inness. When they moved, they weren't catching anything on this side of the boat. Nothing was coming in. Jesus said, move the width of a boat and you're going to get your catch of fish. They were expert fishermen. They knew how to fish. They'd been doing it a long time. And they had to somehow accept that somebody else might have a new idea. And in moving the width of that boat, all of a sudden, everything just changed and everything was included. Let me read this bit because I have no idea where I am. None of us are experts who have it all buttoned down. And nobody else in the world is either, unless God is very, very, very small. We are people of the way, following a voice, a heartbeat, together, all included. What did we hear last week? We're all letters being written. All seeking to help each other and anybody we come across to tap into the revelation of a righteousness already deposited with sin, no barrier to his loving gaze and adoration of us. That's lovely, isn't it? Now, it's awesome, but it can make us feel insecure for the reasons we've talked about, because everybody has to be included. And Peter had to adjust how he was behaving. He had to sort of be challenged by Paul to say, hang on a minute, 
You can't just now say it's not inclusive because people who you've been around and they've perhaps been your friends in the past are all of a sudden saying, oh, actually, no, you can't do that. You've got to be all in this thing. You've got to be going for it. Um, so my question tonight as I close is, who do you struggle to allow in? Are there a group of people that you struggle to think they get to be in, in whatever area of your life? Um, and do you actually enjoy some as aspects of inness within a group that is somehow defined by the fact that other people are excluded? Because we have to be careful that where we feel like we belong is not a belonging because we belong and you're out. Because then we've become this exclusive group, haven't we? If our sense of belonging here is because we're all happy and safe and, and we're all belong and we all know each other, we're not going to be a very inclusive group when other people come in because it's going to disrupt the fact that part of what we like about us is that other people are, are out and we're in. And so the key for me that I came to today was actually, really, we need a revelation of the wonder of our own inness and that being a gift. And some of us have worked so hard to be in um, and still wanting credit for that or perhaps like me you've been down the route where you feel really quite disillusioned that you ha didn't get any credit for it because you're like what did I waste all my time working so hard for um, but that's all right because it has mattered it's mattered in the sense that God saw our faith and in the same way it matters when someone says I love you back for some of us we were just loving him back the best way we knew how with the revelation that we had at the time and that is absolutely all right but moving forward I want to be celebrating my inness more than I'm working for my inness so that I can live in this picture and not in the caption so, I've got somewhere. <laughs> Do you want to, does one of you want to come up? Thank you, Jen, that was awesome. Um, one of the problems Jen highlighted there about once you connect the pay of teachers with the necessity for every child to reach a certain level, you have then fed a culture that thrives on exclusivity. So once you say the object is going to heaven and avoiding hell, you create a culture that thrives on that mentality of inness and outness. And you also create a culture that says, if we are in, they have to be out because they would spoil our inness. And so then we begin to overpaint on God's heart things that he probably never intended or never wanted to say. And um, when Jesus began to minister to people, it was fascinating because he, he started choosing people. And the way that he chose them was by a simple invitation, follow me, okay? He wasn't, oh, you know, angel choirs and heaven has chosen you and, and you are, it, it was a simple follow me. And, and I have to say to you, I, I apologize sometimes for the different pressures, but that's still how Jesus works. He, he, he just comes in your street, he comes in your work, he comes in your home and he says, follow me. 
And the real essence of the truth of that is that people who follow him become his disciples. You don't become his disciple by joining a church. You don't become his disciple because you've memorized the Bible. Because there were lots of people at that time who'd memorized the Bible and were in church every week. But it's people who say, I'll follow. So my, my first number one challenge from what Jenny says, to break free of this, you have to make a decision in your heart. I'll follow this voice that's asking me to follow him. Now, the second thing I need to say on that is that didn't go down well with most people because there were a couple of guys who were doing very well in business and, and heard Jesus say, follow me, and they left their business. They left their boat business. They left their fishing business. Now, you imagine what everybody who knew them was saying. Oh, isn't it wonderful that they're following Jesus? Oh, it's just amazing that they left their fishing business and now they've gone not knowing where they're going. No, you, you imagine what happened with that, that, that it wasn't popular. How it happened wasn't popular. And then this amazing guy called Matthew was, was a hated person by that very community of the Jews. He was a tax collector. He was a stooge of the Romans. And Jesus said, you follow me too. So there's all these kind of guys following Jesus who everything, everybody thinks, big mistake. I wouldn't have them in. I would never include them. Crazy. And what's fascinating is this, that for three and a half years, right? Not three and a half minutes, three and a half years, Jesus hung out with these guys. And we discover when the three and a half years come to an end, they haven't got a clue what he was talking about. I haven't got a flipping clue. And the very essence of what was important was, I'm going to be taken, people are going to crucify me, but I'll rise again to show you that I came to bring life to the dead, I came to break this system, I came to bring something new. They argued with him over that, they thought that was the dumbest idea they'd ever heard. That's the very reason he came. So, if you're sat here thinking, I look at God and think, that's really dumb. Uh, and the Jesus I've met, I think that, that's, I don't know if I can grasp that, that's stupid. Well, that's exactly how these people were. But somehow, after that three and a half years, when Jesus went to the cross, and, and all those people just backed off and left him, they didn't know what they were going to do next. That, that was the extent, the level of the disciples of Jesus. That was the level of where they were at in their progress of moving a half a, that's where they were at. But the wonderful thing is that, that after that, that, that challenge to their faith, one by one, they began to encounter Jesus in a new way. And what changed it was that now long, no longer were they meeting the Jewish Jesus, who was the construct of their society, but now they were meeting the Jesus who'd come from God. The Jesus who we know is the Jesus of the Bible, because they thought he'd come to set them free from the Romans. So it if you read the disciples, it was a wonderful lesson in missing the point, right? And most of what I've seen, and I've done it myself in, in an attempt to try and define God and Christianity and faith, it has sometimes been a wonderful experience of missing the point. What Jesus came to do was shatter every illusion that they had about who they thought that he was, they tried to squash him into the Jewish mold of the Messiah that they expected, and he didn't fit. And so because he didn't fit, they said, well, that's it, we're out of here. But then something happened. They met the real Jesus of God. 
they met the real saviour who came for humanity. And as they began to encounter him, having spent three and a half years working all this through, each of them began to come in many different ways, but wonderfully to a, a fantastic faith that revolutionised the world. It revolutionised their life first, and then it revolutionised the world. They just had to talk about this Jesus who didn't fit the model that they'd expected. So I'm saying this really just to ride on the back of, of, of what, Jenny said, for those of you who think you've got it all buttoned down, I can't help you. For those of you who are on this journey and you're thinking, well, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm like some of those kids and I, don't, I haven't come on a half a year and, and therefore I must be out in the context of what inness and outness is and so I must be rejected and how can there be patience? Listen, I love the patience of Jesus to say, follow me. And that's all he's asking of you tonight, in your heart to follow him, to say, yeah, I'll follow you, to start figuring some stuff out that, that many times is going to lead you down an alley where you think, I'm done. That was the point sometimes, because he wants you to meet the real Jesus of God. I want you to meet the real God of creation. I don't want you to meet the construct of a society or, or the illusion of a group of people. And if some of you get scared because you think, oh, this church, far too inclusive, then don't go and sing Amazing Grace next time you're in church because you don't believe it. Okay? That's the amazingness of grace that invites us and says, just follow me and I'll make you what you're supposed to be. So I'm inviting you tonight really on, on really just reaffirming in your heart that you are committed to that journey. What is the journey? It's following Jesus. He didn't say, follow me and I'll get you to heaven. Jesus never said that. The church has misconstrued that and said, Jesus' point was, follow me and I'll get you to heaven. Jesus' point was, follow me and I'll make you who you're supposed to be. Now then, if heaven's part of that, that's wonderful. But the moment you get destinations, you've got inness and outness and, and them and us. But while you have a direction that's saying, come and join this. Just come and be part. I can get you there. Listen, I, I want every one of you to know Jesus can get you there. Whatever there is and wherever there is, actually defining it doesn't help. It just means there is a there and you want to get there. The Bible calls that lots of things, new birth, salvation, eternal life, the kingdom of God. Lots of definitions. All you need to know is there's a there for you. And Jesus says, if you follow me, I'll get you there. He knows your heart. He knows your life. He knows where you're at. He knows your capacity. But he just invites you still, follow me. So I'm going to pray and I would like to ask you to make that recommitment in your heart. If you've never really knowingly made that commitment, then do it as we pray. Say, Jesus, tonight, I just, I want to follow you. I want to follow you and see where this goes. Father, right now, thank you for being here tonight with all that you are in this place right now. God incarnate with us. And Lord, as you just call us and speak to our hearts again, still asking us today, follow me and I will make you. We commit, I commit, to still hear that voice and to follow you, to allow it to deconstruct in me all the things that have constructed a false image of who you are and to begin to allow me to see who you really are because you're amazing and your grace is amazing. 
And what you're leading us to is amazing. Thank you for the there. For every one of us, there is a there. You're leading us to the there. We receive that tonight. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for a righteousness given as a gift. And thank you for transformation in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Jenny. That was awesome. And... uh...